Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of QSR Uncut. I'm your host, Danny Klein, the editorial director at QSR Magazine, joined by my colleague and co-host, Ben Coley. And this week, we are talking to Togo Sandwiches. So Togo's is a brand that's been around a long time, 1971, California-based, as we were just talking before the call with uh, John here, who I'll allow to introduce himself in a moment. He lives in San Diego, so we don't have any... uh, we don't feel bad for him um, at the moment, but um, yeah, we'll talk a lot about the brand. I'll let him kind of get that started, but it recently opened a non-traditional location inside a convenience store, gas station, which, you know, well, maybe we'll talk briefly there about gas prices, hopefully not too much, but, but I guess it is something we can't escape. So just how things are going there. But I guess, John, you know, thank you for joining us, first of all. And if you want to tell everybody a little bit about your role as VP of Franchise Sales and Real Estate and about the brand, the floor yeah. is yours. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you guys for, for having me. I'm uh, looking forward to sharing what we've got going on at Togo's with you guys uh, this morning. Uh, but uh, uh, as, as you mentioned, my name is John Dyer. I'm the VP of Franchise Development for Togo's. I uh, joined the company in uh, December of, of 2018, um, and uh, my role includes basically all aspects of franchise development. So I oversee our franchise sales team uh, and work with uh, new franchisees coming into the system uh, on identifying real estate, overseeing uh, construction and the build out of new restaurants and uh, supporting the franchisees going forward. Right. And so I guess a good place to start, we've actually been talking a lot about this in recent podcasts, is just about that real estate market right now. It seems to be, seems like quick service is a pretty hot ticket. You know, I think a lot of people are gravitating toward industries that, you know, we'll call them pandemic resilient, (laughs) maybe not pandemic proof, but, you know, quick service ended up very quickly uh, rebounding. And I think at this point has pretty much proven it is able to get its product to people and, you know, no matter what shuts down and that's kind of flooded that in. But I mean, have you found a little bit of a surge in franchise interest? Are current operators looking at the future optimistically at this point? I mean, hopefully we're heading toward a pretty robust spring here, but what are you just seeing from that ground level? Yeah, no, um, we've, uh, we've been very fortunate um, that, you know, we obviously, you know, struggled as, as everybody did, uh, during the pandemic, but uh, we uh, have rebounded quite well. Uh, we um, outperformed our 2019 sales in uh, in 2021, which is uh, you know a huge accomplishment. And uh, so far, uh, you know, the first couple of months of, of 2022 have been very strong for us as well. Uh, we're definitely seeing an increase in uh, in franchise interest. Um, and uh, a lot of folks, again, are, are, are interested in the brand because of, uh, you know, the way that we performed during the pandemic. And, you know, I, I don't want to say we're, you know, recession proof, but yet we were very recession resilient. And um, the, the brand was positioned well to, uh, you know, to rebound coming out of the pandemic. Yeah, you know, I've never actually said that line about pandemic resilient until a second ago. <laughs> I think I think I'm going to use it in the future though because it it kind of fits. I and I got you know very early on the recession talk was always so complicated to me because it felt so different from the recession. Yep. Uh, 
especially for restaurants, because in the recession, nobody ever closed the dining room. It was just a matter of whether or not people wanted to spend on dining out versus whether or not they actually literally could. Yeah. That's kind of why this was so weird um, might be the, <laughs> yeah. might be the best word. I don't know. I, I feel, um, yeah, I feel really good about, um, about the way that we perform. I mean, obviously, you know, like, like everybody, we, we, um, you know, we experienced quite a bit of a, a, a downturn in sales, but there were some things that, that we were already working on, uh, you know, pre pandemic, uh, that ended up serving us very well during the pandemic. Um, and so, you know, in, in early 2019, we rolled out, uh, kind of a new rebranding campaign, uh, that we refer to as Togo's 3.0. Um, and there were certain elements of that um, that really, uh, really served us well during the pandemic. So, uh, you know, obviously, you know, as most rebranding campaigns uh, go, they entail, a, you know, a significant, um, you know, upgrade to the look and feel of the facilities. But uh, and ours included that as well. But in addition to upgrading the look and feel of the facilities, we uh, we're working very hard on um, technology innovation. Uh, so we were able to roll out uh, online ordering, uh, well, or, you know, self-ordering kiosks, not online ordering kiosks, self-ordering kiosks within the restaurant so that guests could uh, place their orders, you know, directly on a kiosk um, if they chose to do so rather than, uh, you know, with a cashier or a live employee. And we uh, had worked very hard to integrate our point of sale systems with uh, all of the third party uh, delivery partners like Uber Eats, Grubhub and DoorDash. And so, you know, as those orders were placed through the third party delivery uh, apps, they were uploaded directly into our system uh, and it, it made the processing uh, and the production of those orders a lot more, uh, a lot more efficient. In addition to that, we've been, you know, working very hard on streamlining and upgrading our uh, our online ordering app as well. So that was ready for prime time, and we were able to quickly pivot um, uh, and offer curbside service, which was something that we hadn't offered uh, pre-pandemic. But we were uh, uh, really proud to, to, to quickly roll out a curbside service within the first few weeks of uh, the impact of the pandemic across the system. And that uh, was very helpful as well. Did you write that 3.0 story, Ben? Yeah, I was, I was going to mention that. Um, back in um, so. May, I spoke with the CEO and he was, you know, talking about the, um, the kind of the evolution of the, that, that plan. And I think it, I'm looking back on it at the time, it said that um, there were about 30 um, stores with the, um, the new speed line. That's I was right. hoping, yeah, I was hoping. Uh, what progress have you guys made um, since then on kind of um, rolling out this remodel throughout the system? Well, we've continued to uh, to uh, roll out the speed line and Togo's 3.0 uh, to you know all of the stores as their uh, franchise agreements come up for renewal, mm-hmm. uh, as well as uh, lease agreements. Uh, so you know when the franchisees making that commitment to sign up, you know for another five or ten years of lease term or another 10 years of franchise agreement term, uh, they're making that investment and, uh, and, you know, 
converting the store over to the new format. Yeah, tell, tell us, uh, for people who don't know what a speed line is, what that means exactly. So it, it's really um, not all that uh, legendary or, you know, or, or that different than a lot of our competitors, uh, you know, currently offer or have offered for many, many years. But it's, you know, it's more of an assembly line approach to building uh, sandwiches, um, you know, like like Subway or, you know, the, kind of the build it in front of you platforms. Um, you know, historically, Togo's was one sandwich maker, one guest at a time. And, um, you know, obviously in today's labor market, you know, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, and so, uh, you know, the conversion of uh, the restaurant over to a speed line format really helped do several things. It, it helped us operate uh, more efficiently from a labor perspective. Uh, it also um, helped get a new employee up to productivity a lot more quickly uh, than we, we were able to uh, previously. If you can imagine, you know, when it's, you know, one sandwich maker, one customer at a time, you know, that sandwich maker needs to be an expert on everything that we sell. Uh, they really need to know the entire menu. And so, you know, obviously, you know, in the legacy format, that took uh, a significant amount of, of time and training to get somebody up to that level of productivity where they really could jump on a sandwich board and, you know, and serve customers. But obviously with, with Speedline, you can put somebody in a particular position and say, hey, you're going to be the, the bread guy today, or you're going to, you know, be the protein guy and you're going to start the sandwich or you're going to finish off the sandwich with all of the veggies. So, it, you know, it enabled us to get people up to, you know, employees up to productivity a lot more quickly than we were able to in the, uh, in the previous model. Yeah, I mean, it makes all the sense in the world. I mean, especially, I think I, I think the statistic, if I remember seeing it with Starbucks was, and this is Starbucks, who was so, you know, employee forward or, or at least in their ethos, but, you know, that they were 70% of all their employees last year were first year hires. Yeah. <laughs> um, very common story in the restaurant world. So mm. training is, is uh, expensive and it's timely and not everybody wants to do it exactly <laughs> and so so the more uh you know confident you could have someone in what task you're giving obviously the better you know Definitely. plus people like to see their food being made exactly yeah. exactly yeah no it's uh, it served us very well and it's also able enabled us to uh, to do a better job with the third party delivery orders as they come in because you know previously you know you've got you know you've got two or three you know, employees working and serving customers, working aboard. And then that third party delivery order would come in and it was like, well, who's going to jump off the board or, or stop serving the guests that are coming in and standing in front of you to make this third party delivery order. So, it, you know, a lot of times those orders would, would sit there and there'd be a little bit of delay before they, um, you know, before they, you know, started to be prepared. And with uh, with Speedline and with the integration that we had with the POS, you know, all of the orders come through at the time that they're placed and they just they all make their way through the line, um, you know, as, as they come in. So it's just a much more efficient way of doing yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, that is that is such a big thing to me now. I, I saw something just yesterday about this, about the amount of consumers who are feel like they're uh, 
not treated with the same urgency as the online orders of the people they can't see. I don't remember yeah. what the number was, but just the fact that was even a thing. And I think we've all experienced that recently where you walk in and there's nobody in the dining room and you walk up to the counter and the person is making a meal for somebody else and you've got to wait for it. Mm-hmm. That is such an odd and semi unnatural kind of behavior, but yeah. it's obviously what, you know, not everyone has second make lines like a Chipotle. So sure. That's just a natural part of the business. But to your point, if it's coming in kind of in order, it feels a little more streamlined than just kind of like, I just got this. The guy's going to be here in 15 minutes. We got to rush it out the door. You know, you over there in line have to wait. <laughs> yeah. That kind of, kind of world. But restaurants are going to have to figure, figure that dynamic out because that mobile ordering part of things is not, it's not going anywhere just because people can come back in. In fact, now you've got to deal with both sides more than you did before. Yeah. No, that's a good point. You know, I, you know, unfortunately, I, you know, I, you know, I sometimes, you know, happen upon one of our legacy restaurants and I'll be, you know, I'll be in the dining room and I'll witness a customer walk in and, uh, and inquire about their mobile order. And, you know, unfortunately the, you know, the employees have been too tied up with the guests in front of them and they haven't even started that order yet. And so, right. The, yeah, you know, the other side of it, the, the integration of speed line really kind of removes that potential issue. Um, yeah, I've I've run into that too, where I ordered twenty minutes in advance and walk in, yeah. and they haven't started it until they see me. Exactly. <laughs> they're like, "What did you order?" And then you know they start making it, and I'm like, "What was the point of me ordering in advance and waiting in my car for the time that you gave me?" So now I just walk in regardless of when it says to pick it up, and if no one's in there, they they get started on it. Yeah. It's a it's a weird world uh, we live in right now. <laughs> it it sure is. It sure is. I, I tell you, I have. You know, I have so many more QSR apps on my phone today than I did, you know, uh, pre-pandemic. And I'll tell you, I think, you know, um, I think a lot of people, uh, you know, uh, maybe folks that even, you know, pre-pandemic weren't very tech savvy or wouldn't be the type of person to download, you know, the the app of a QSR and place that order in advance or, or, you know, found you found out how convenient that could be. And uh, I don't see, I don't see folks gravitating away from that. How many, uh, how many did you have been? I probably have, you know, a dozen, you know, but I can think of, you know, definitely during the pandemic, uh, you know, I, I downloaded the Chipotle app, the Panda Express app, Wingstop. And uh, yeah, it's, it's been interesting. For me, you'd be surprised that I don't really have um, that many. I'm kind of a guy, well, I'm kind of unique in that I just stick to like a handful of restaurants. I just go them several several times. So I only, the most I use is definitely the Chipotle, which it's like a couple clicks and you're and you're done, which I love. Um, yeah, that, yeah, their app is great. You can't, yeah. it just cannot be knocked. So I mean, it just is. I mean, but as I, t- I remember telling someone that once and they're like, well, you know, when you have millions of dollars to <laughs> to build an app versus me, yeah. you know, we got to give them credit. But, sure. but yeah, I think I think pre-COVID I had maybe I might have just had Chipotle. And now I have every one of every body near us, which, as we've talked on the podcast before, is not a lot. Yeah. QSR magazine is actually surrounded by very few QSRs because we are not allowed to have drive throughs in Chapel Hill. <laughs> oh, geez. Of course. Yeah. So we have Chipotle, Cava, Just Salad, Chopped, and is that it? Um, 
think that might be it. Yeah. All the apps on my phone. But, you know, it's, oh, it, it is interesting, you know, because I remember walking into Chipotle and, like, getting in line and, like, talking to the people in line about my ingredients. And now I, I look back on it and I was like, why did I ever do that when that app existed and that shelf existed? It made, I just boggled my mind that I would actually wait in line and actually have them point out what I wanted when I can actually have a preset on my phone to exactly how I want it every single time. I can't, be- yeah. I, I can't believe that I ever did that. Yeah. Well, yeah, sandwiches, burritos, anything like yes, that. Yes, sandwiches like, are the you, same you thing. Might, you might have like a weird thing you want to ask for. Yeah, sure. <laughs> that you're like feel uncomfortable walking into Togo's and saying, you know, I need triple the meat or whatever. Or like yeah, these these, nice to these toppings it. you can't pronounce correctly and you don't want to pronounce it in front of other people. You can just click the box on the app and you won't have to worry about being embarrassed in line. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I'll tell you. Changing you know, the game. It was an interesting, I had an interesting experience, you know, a a couple of months back with Panda Express, you know, I, you know, I was, happened to be in an area that, um, uh, that that has very busy lunch clientele. And I ordered from this Panda, you know, through the app and uh, happened to pop in. I couldn't believe the the line was literally out the door. There must've been 15, 20 people in line. Uh, You know, this, this Panda was very busy for lunch and, you know, it felt great to roll right in and mm. grab my, you know, grab my bag and, and walk out the door. And I thought, man, you know, um, the convenience just can't be beat. Well, oh, I remember a long time ago when, when Chipotle started first kind of doing the ability to order online, but you would walk in and they didn't really have anywhere for you to get it. So you actually would end up waiting online just to get to the front of the line and then to give you the meal that you had ordered. And it ended up being one of the worst experiences possible because there was no benefit to it whatsoever. And so so many times, I feel like we've been talking the last couple of months when we are spinning this positively as restaurants on the quick service side actually gave people things that they already wanted. They just were slow to do so before because the urgency was obviously not a pandemic. Right. <laughs> exactly. So I think the consumer is actually one when this all passes. It just... You know, as you know from the operating side, we're we're hopefully almost there. <laughs> exactly. But um, so if we could um, I want I wanted to shift the the, the conversation um back to real estate. You know, we've talked we've talked to a couple of uh, executives about you know what's out there, what's available. I was hoping um you could kind of speak to what you guys are seeing from a real estate expect um perspective, and then also. Um, your guys is kind of um, dive into non-traditional and what's available actually in the um, the non-traditional space. So I'm, I'm sure that's a whole different ball game for you guys. Sure. Yeah. No. Absolutely. So yeah. No. Um, you know. You know. Post pandemic. You know. We've uh, we've definitely you know, kind of changed um, the real estate criteria for for Togos. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the uh, you know historically we um, you know. We built restaurants that were, you know, 1,600 to, you know, even up to 2,400 square feet, you know, way back in the day. Uh, and um, we've really uh, learned that, that people aren't really interested in dining in as much. All of the growth is, is off premise. Uh, and that, you know, really kind of uh, was exacerbated by the, the, the pandemic. You know, we just a lot of people really didn't feel comfortable dining in. 
of being indoors um, uh, during the pandemic. So, you know, the, the model today is, is much smaller than what we were looking for uh, pre-pandemic. You know, the, the typical, uh, you know, uh, square footage today we're looking for is anywhere between 1,000 and uh, 1,400 square feet is really ideal. Uh, if we can find locations that have uh, outdoor dining opportunities, you know, patios uh, and that sort of thing, um, you know, those those are, uh, you know, ideal as well. Uh, and that's, you know, square footage that you typically don't pay uh, pay rent on. So that's obviously something that a lot of operators are are interested in. Uh, you know, we're also looking for locations where people can swing in uh, quickly uh, and park close to um, the uh, the location and run in and pick up their order and and get out and on their way. Um, so uh, you know, locations with quick and convenient parking uh, are ideal. Unfortunately, you know, we have a few locations in the brand that um, that are kind of interior uh, and aren't very convenient to parking. Matter of fact, we operate. Uh, we, we operated a location at our corporate headquarters mm-hmm. uh, downstairs from our corporate offices. And, uh, it, you know, it's in downtown San Jose and it uh, was on a, a, a busy street. But they decided to close the street to vehicular traffic and all of the other restaurants uh, on the block basically opened their parklets out in the street uh, but unfortunately for us, and those are all, you know, um, you know, not QSR, they're, you know, full sit down restaurants. So they're not as dependent on the, the third party delivery as, as we were. So unfortunately, you know, uh, those third party delivery drivers can't access uh, that location anymore. And so, um, uh, and unfortunately, with it being uh, in downtown San Jose and a lot of folks, no longer working in those offices like they once were, uh, we had to make the decision to uh, to close that location, and it you know remains to be seen whether or not we'll we'll actually reopen um, because it, it appears that they're going to keep um, the vehicular traffic uh, on that street. You know they're going to keep it closed off. So um, you know it, it, it's very important that it's easy for folks to to pop in and pop out, whether it be you know, the customer themselves that place their order on the app uh, or that third party delivery driver that needs to be able to run in and quickly grab that order and get it off to a customer. You know, um, you know, in the thick of the pandemic, we all know that the, some of the locations that were hit the hardest were your travel center locations, your airport locations, because, you know, people weren't able to move and they were restricted. Um but now you kind of you do see a lot more um, movement from brands into the non-traditional space, um, wanting to grow in that space now that the COVID's kind of died down a little bit. So let me kind of speak to at what point did you guys determine, okay, now we're seeing a tide kind of turn. Now is the time to kind of reinvest in this non-traditional space and and how much of opportunity you think that presents for your brand kind of going forward? Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, uh, you know, it really is kind of interesting. It, it you know, it really happened somewhat organically. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we, we really just started hearing from a, a lot of the fuel operators out there um, that had, you know, excess space, uh, you know, in their convenience store. 
uh, and wanted to kind of upgrade uh, and offer prepared food, um, you know, in that convenience store space. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and, and so we've, we've always had, you know, several, uh, non-traditional fuel, uh, you know, fuel oriented locations. We had a handful and we've got some co-branded locations back, uh, from when, uh, Togo's was part of the Duncan brands family. Mm-hmm. We have about 40 locations that are, uh, co-branded with Baskin Robbins. Oh. So Togo's has really been no, you know, no stranger to, to co-branding or non-traditional type locations, but, uh, we really started to see an increase um, in a lot of these fuel operators coming forward, like I said, and looking for opportunities to kind of upgrade uh, and offer more healthy, you know, better quality prepared foods uh, in their in their convenience stores. And a lot of the infrastructure that's there uh, that already exists within the convenience store, you know, they've got, you know, the refrigeration uh, and in many cases they've got, you know, the ability to um, to, to create some space so that they don't have to add refrigeration to, you know, to roll out these fresh fruit offerings. And then, you know, back of the house area where they've got, you know, the three comp sinks and the, the prep areas. So really all it takes is kind of carving out, you know, uh, you know, three to 500 square foot, uh, sandwich counter, if you will, where, uh, we can, you know, put in the speed line and, um, and prep sandwiches, uh, because a lot of the other infrastructure is already there, the the back of the house space, the refrigeration. So it really uh, presents, uh, you know, a low cost opportunity to bring, you know, some fresh food into into the convenience store space. Yeah, the sandwiches always to me feel like the best travel stop food because <laughs> exactly. you don't have to really stop. Exactly. Compared to some other things out there. And plus, you know, I know some other brands do this where they, you can make a bunch of sandwiches in advance and put them into the cooler out front for grab and go too, which, you know, is, is really a nice feature compared to some other things out there. True. Yeah. True. Yeah. And I, you know, and I guess, you know, one thing, just if you want to talk, I'm kind of interested what your thoughts are in the sandwich category, broadly speaking here. I feel like right now you've got a pretty Good mix is some really big brands, some brands just starting to grow. You know, Togo's has been around, you know, five decades. So, you yeah. know, this is a legacy player in the space. But I mean, how much white space is there, you know, for that category to expand, you know, at this kind of point? Yeah, we feel that there's uh, there's tremendous opportunity and we're very focused on growing the brand uh, in the Western United States. You know, we've got uh, a tremendous opportunity to infill you know, a lot of California, you know, the majority of our stores are within the state of California, but we could probably, you know, put another 50 stores uh, in the market, uh, you know, very easily. Um, We uh, just last year uh, rolled the market out uh, in Las Vegas, and we've got two stores open in the Vegas market, uh, and now commitments for, uh, for up to 12 units in Vegas. Uh, We are, uh, getting ready to roll out the Reno market. We'll have our first location in Reno open uh, in uh, in June. Uh, but there's yeah, there's tremendous opportunity uh, within the brand or within the mark or within you know within the whole sandwich universe um, across the U.S. Uh, we're finding that uh, you know Subway as they kind of thin out uh, the number of locations that uh, that they operate 
they're opening up some great, um, you know, real estate opportunities uh, that exist uh, for us to convert over to uh, the Togo's brand. You know, a lot of the real estate that they occupy is, is good real estate. They just, you know, had too many stores too close together and they're thinning, thinning out the, the cannibalization that existed. And that's created a lot of opportunities for, for second generation restaurant space right. uh, and good conversion uh, opportunities, which really reduces the, uh, the initial development cost for a new franchisee building out a store. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about the uh, franchise operator profile that you guys have within the system and also the kind that you're looking to grow with at this point. I mean, I think it's always interesting when you have such a legacy brand with so many years. I mean, do you have a good mix of, you know, people who are growing within currently perspective of still coming out multi-unit people adding to their portfolio? Are you looking a little bit of everything (laughs) or what's a, what is kind of the operator right now that you all are targeting? Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, you know, so a lot of our existing franchisees are, uh, are jumping on uh, these opportunities to, uh, you know, to grow uh, with the brand in and around their existing locations. Um, but we've, uh, we've been able to attract a lot of new franchisees into the system. Um, and, you know, typically the, the profile is, you know, uh, somebody that's been successful, uh, you know, in another career, uh, you know, being very, you know, Silicon Valley and, and California Bay Area focused, we tend to get a lot of uh, former, you know, tech guys that, that have been successful in the tech industry and uh, and made, you know, made good money and are just kind of looking to do something on their own. Um, so we've got a lot of retired tech workers uh, that are, are getting out of the, the tech, you know, rat race and are looking to, uh, like I said, do something on their own. Um, uh, but, you know, really folks from all across the board that, uh, just want to get out of the corporate world and want, uh, you know, a concept that's relatively easy to operate that enables you to kind of get involved in the community and, uh, you know, provide, you know, a product that, that everybody likes, you know, Yeah. Have you, uh, have you seen more of those types of people trying to escape the corporate world of late? I feel like we heard a lot about that in the pandemic world of, I gotta, you know, maybe I'm on unemployment getting, you know, good money, or I just realized that my job is, doesn't care if I live or die (laughs) or, you know, whatever it might've been over the last couple of years that made people kind of take control of their destiny again. I mean, is that, has that influxed the, you know, into the franchising space for you? Absolutely. Yeah, no, we've seen, we've seen a lot of that. You know, I think uh, the pandemic, uh, you know, really, you know, caused people to really kind of take stock of, of where they were at, you know, in their career or in their work world and, and kind of, you know, make some tough decisions on, on whether or not that was something that they wanted to continue doing uh, or, or go a different direction. And uh, we, we've definitely seen, uh, you know, a number of folks, um, you know, that have come to us and said, you know, hey, I, you know, I, I've been very successful in my tech career or as a, you know, a, a college professor or you name it. And I'm just ready to kind of do something different uh, and kind of control my own destiny, you know. So um, we've seen a lot of that. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't know about you, Ben, but I've been getting emails from... Uh 
I don't know where these people are finding me of people trying to sell me franchises for, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. do you understand that I've been a journalist my whole career? I'm not sure what kind of uh, net worth you think I have, but uh, you're, asking, <laughs> you're asking the wrong person. No, I haven't come across that. Not yet, um, at least. Maybe when you get into your thirties, uh, <laughs> that's when they start coming, I guess. There you go. Oh. But um, I want, what, one uh, question I was curious about, you know, we talked about um, the pandemic and what changed during the pandemic and what really um, came to the forefront was the drive through and how strong the drive through can be. Yeah. How does um, Togo's kind of view the drive through Do you guys have drive throughs in your footprint or is that something you guys may be exploring in the future? What's your guys' kind of take on that? Yeah, no, absolutely. We, we don't currently, uh, unfortunately, have any drive through locations, but... It is, it is something that we're actively looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you know, in California, uh, you know, the drive-through locations can be very cost prohibitive. They're, they're, you know, mm-hmm. that real estate is extremely expensive. But in, in some of the, uh, the markets that we're, uh, that we're targeting for development right now, uh, there are opportunities to, you know, procure drive-through locations, um, you know, and, and have them, you know, be affordable and make sense for our model. So it is something that we're looking at. We, we do um, see the success that a lot of our competitors have had with drive-throughs okay. uh, and, and believe it presents a, a phenomenal opportunity for us. Um, it's just, you know, given where the base of stores are located uh, in California and you know, some of the most expensive real estate in the nation, um, it, it, it hasn't always been within reach, but like I said, in, in some of these markets that we're growing in now, it's, it's definitely a possibility and something that we intend to pursue. Mm-hmm. And as you guys kind of look out for the rest of the year, you know, we've talked to a lot of chains about, or who are, who are growing about supply chain and equipment delays and all that. What, what, what are you guys kind of seeing with I mean, your guys' own process and, how are you kind of? How are you guys kind of mitigating those uh, obstacles as you guys look to open more locations um, down the line? Yeah, no, that's definitely been uh, something that we've struggled with. Um, you know, delays in, in getting equipment into new restaurants, uh, and uh, you know, just general uh, supply chain delays. I mean, we're we're experiencing it all across the board from the you know the products uh, being you know the food products being delivered into our restaurants uh, to the equipment that we need to build out new restaurants, but we've uh, we've had to uh, kind of expand the the timeline for opening new restaurants. And when we're negotiating new leases, we we try to get us you know get ourselves a little bit more time so that when we do encounter those delays in um, in receiving refrigeration equipment or or what have you, um, you know we're not in a position where we're stuck paying dead rent. Uh, before we have everything we need to get the restaurant open uh, and, you know, and ready to serve uh, customers. And in some cases, uh, the brand, you know, corporate ourselves have stepped up and, um, you know, purchased, uh, you know, uh, a bunch of, you know, ref- you know make line units or, or what have you, you know, the, the equipment that we know we're going to need to go into all of the restaurants we're, we're, we're purchasing, purchasing that in advance and kind of stockpiling it in a warehouse so that, um, you know, we aren't, uh, you know, subject to a lot of those delays. And I, I expect that will continue. Uh, yeah, that's, we that's become a pretty common practice lately, which is so 
crazy, right? <laughs> but that's become a thing now. I think it, it was exactly. I think it was a few months ago I first heard that and it's like, yeah, I've become a broker for my own franchisees. <laughs> exactly. Them, yeah. I'm selling them kitchen equipment. Who would have thought but, we'd be stockpiling kitchen equipment, but you know, hey, whatever whatever it takes um, you know, to get the restaurants open, you know, otherwise, you know, we won't meet, you know, the goals we have for, for getting new restaurants open. Yeah. And the people capital too, and the, just always a weird way to phrase it, but just hiring people to match the growth is now mm-hmm. yeah. not easy yeah. either. Although maybe getting easier uh, a little bit, yeah. <laughs> a yeah. tiny bit. California still, is a weird place. So, yeah, you know, you're dealing with the uh, tip of the every regulation sphere that we hear about. <laughs> That's true. That's definitely true. Yeah, no, that's, you know, that, that is one of the, uh, you know, one of the major issues that I've found with existing franchisees within the system. You know, I, you know, I, I've had several conversations with uh, franchisees as of late two or three in the last month that, you know, these are franchisees that, that are, you know, willing to grow and, and excited to grow but have kind of put their expansion plans on pause because they can, they can barely get a day off from operating their existing restaurants. Um, You know, they're, you know, having to, you know, to work the stores much more frequently and, you know, aggressively than they've had to do in the past because they just can't hire, you know, people to, to work for them. Yeah, um, it's, ben, it's ben went on vacation the other day for the first time in like three years. For yeah, <laughs> no, it's he was gone it's, for like two days. <laughs> it's 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 very it's very challenging, and I completely understand. I had a a franchisee tell me the other day that you know she was ready to move forward with uh, with a new site that we had identified, which wasn't too far from her existing location, and she said, you know, I'm gung ho and ready to go. But she said, my husband just said, absolutely not. You know, I barely see you, you know, as it stands now, you know, and you can barely keep your existing store staffed. You know, I get it. I want to grow too, but now is not the time we've got to wait until, uh, until the labor market improves a little bit because it's just, you know, it's, 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 it's definitely a struggle. Yes, for sure. Um, well, John, you know, thank you so much for joining us. It's been great. Um, I'll kind of let you close here by just telling people where they could find you. Um, if you're if you're a prospective franchisee, if you're just someone who wants to learn about Togo's, where to go? Obviously, you have a website. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, Togo'sFranchise.com is our franchising website, or www.togo's.com is the consumer site. But uh, you can find plenty of information about opportunities within Togo's. And I look forward to having conversations with anybody that's interested. All right. Awesome. Well, we look forward to uh, following the brand, you know, going forward. And again, appreciate you joining us for everybody listening. You know, we'll see you next time.